Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But I want to say as I've said in the past, I haven't got armies, I haven't got money, I haven't got establishments, but I have God. It's a voice that needs no introduction. We say never, Ian Richard Kyle Paisley. He became the Reverend Ian Paisley and Dr. Paisley, and finally Lord Banside. The big man, the founder of both the DUP and the Free Presbyterian Church. The firebrand preacher, an uncompromising street agitating politician. Mr. Faulkner says it's hands across the border to Dublin. If they don't behave themselves in the south, it will be shots across the border. Always seeming to prefer confrontation and golderin to the slicket dealings of practical politics. Sinn Féin are so stained with our blood that it would take a hundred years to pass. And yet, in the end, he did compromise. A time when hate will no longer rule. We're all aiming to build a Northern Ireland in which all can live together in peace. Sitting down in joint office with Sinn Féin's Martin McGuinness, becoming one half of the so-called Chuckle Brothers. No, no change. If you had told me 40 years ago, I would have laughed at you. I've made good friends and I've reconciled a lot of enemies. Ian Paisley was, despite a huge public profile and presence, an enigma. Joining me to discuss Ian Paisley's career from a very personal point of view is the Belfast Telegraph's political editor, Suzanne Breen. Suzanne, can you bring me back to the first time you met Ian Paisley? I first met Ian Paisley when he was canvassing in a field at a farmer's fair in Ballymoney in the early 1990s. I was a young reporter with the Irish Times and I introduced myself to him and his response, to put it politely, was robust. This is a journalist from a Dublin newspaper and she's here to write propaganda for the enemies of Ulster. He bellowed and... A sea of eyes just fell on me, this foreign reporter. Um, I didn't like his tone and I challenged him on it and I said it, it was bullying. And he looked at me and then he broke into loud guffaws of laughter and he stretched out his hand and said, you're, you're very welcome. 
In all my years of knowing him, I found him a complex personality. He could be offensive, yet charming, bigoted, yet warm-hearted, fundamentalist, and yet, as he showed at the end of his political career, very flexible. Um, I disagreed with the position he took on just about everything, from his response to the civil rights movement in the 1960s, to his position on abortion, on LGBTQ rights, and he, he spewed all this anti-Catholic bile. Um, but yet, in, in my dealings with him on a, on a one-to-one level, the Paisley I met in the twilight of his, his career and, and his life was somebody that I found open and, and I was able to work with. And indeed, I mean, you obviously met him many times, interviewed him many times. Uh, on one occasion, you joined him on the election campaign trail and you saw him, I presume, interacting with his own people. Well, I, I, I would have been out on the campaign trail with him many times over the years at elections. And what was really noticeable was that he had more charisma, I would say, than every other unionist politician combined. You could see that to people, he wasn't just an X on a ballot paper. He got, he, he secured a, a place in his supporters' hearts. And he, he'd bump into someone in the street that he maybe hadn't seen for half a century. And he'd recall the most insignificant detail of their last meeting. And they'd remember it too, because nobody ever forgot an encounter with the big man. Um, I, I think that's why he, he topped the poll in successive European elections. And he was certainly more popular than his, his party, the DUP. He was just really good at making personal connections with people. Hello, how are you? On polling day last Wednesday, Paisley toured his Westminster constituency of North Antrim to rally the faithful. Got your voting done. One, Not two, yet. three, Not four, yet. five, six, seven. <laughs> All good children go to heaven. <laughs> and I recall talking to Arlene Foster about him um, and she said that the night he resigned as DUP leader, and we all now know that he, he didn't want to do that, she phoned him to congratulate him on his dignified TV interview. And she said that even in those circumstances, he immediately asked her how her three children were, and he knew all their names, and he asked how her husband Brian was. And she said, you know, David Trimble would barely have known that I had kids, let, let alone remembered their names and that was what was different with Paisley. He very much had the personal touch with ordinary people. There are many of our politicians we would have no idea, well certainly I would have no idea about their their, their personal lives and uh, I'm not saying we knew intimate details of Ian Paisley's personal life but certainly I mean, you had the opportunity to see him at home and to, to interview him in his own in his own family environment? Yeah, I, I visited his um, East Belfast home in, in Cypress Avenue, the parsonage, several times. And it was very much a warm family home. Um, he had a very strong relationship with his children, with his grandchildren. It, it was this beautiful old rambling house teeming with, with antiques and ornaments and I think probably the most impressive room was his library. He had over 30,000 books. They were almost all theological and classic texts. 
um, Paisley didn't read anything by writers of his own generation. Uh, he said he didn't want to be influenced by people who are living. Um, it, it was a very old, old-fashioned house. Paisley collected clocks, and he would enjoy wandering around in the evening, setting all the hands and winding them up, and leaving the house dinging and donging and and chiming all night. It's strange now that it occurs to me. I mean, he had multiple mandates as a politician. He was, I remember, I think it was the Independent Orange Order. He ran his own church. He ran his own party. How often could he have been at home? Well, he he wasn't at home as much as he wanted to be. I mean, his his work um, made made him travel a lot. But like he, he always would phone Eileen at at least every night, if not you know several times a day. So though that that family foundation was really really important to him, it it, it was the bedrock of his personal and political life. Is this one of the classic situations, you know, behind every strong man is a very strong woman? Is, 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 do, we, do we overlook the role of Eileen? Absolutely. Eileen Paisley is a hugely um, important person in Northern Ireland's pol- political life in, in her own right, even though her, her role was very much behind the scenes. And what was interesting was if, if you chatted to Paisley, he, he spoke about her not in tones of anemic domesticity, but in this very passionate and, and physical way. Um, they'd been together a long time. They met when he was 23 and she was 17. And he had told me that she said that he proposed to her after three weeks. But he hadn't been counting. He said she she turned my head so much that I lost track of time. Um, He would say that they would have many arguments and she regularly scolded him. But he never raised his voice or said anything harsh back. And even in his 80s, um, when I knew him, he, he was unashamedly romantic and he would talk about leaving little surprise presents for her under her pillow. Of course, Paisley's attitude to women was entirely contradictory. He would make these breathtakingly unpolitically correct and awful statements. One of his favourite sayings was, when you meet a devil wearing trousers, it's bad, but a devil wearing a skirt is 10 times worse. But yet I I remember him talking about how hard unionism, the the unionist tradition was on women, and it, it was much harder, he said, than Irish nationalism was um the, the, the personal is political and I, again I, I remember Paisley telling me that he was very happy for Eileen to omit the obedience pledge from their wedding vows we speak about the the, the people person uh, and obviously no matter what you think about Ian Paisley he was a very successful politician for in, in, in terms of what he did he must have been able to form a a lot of political alliances and obviously up to a certain point he must have gained an awful lot of political loyalty of a type we don't see in the modern era. Yes, he he did and what always struck me um, as strange was that the, the people that he seemed to really head it off with weren't necessarily um, those you would expect. Um, you know, I, I remember asking him trying to suss him out well who who do you like chatting to 
in the Commons when, when you're over there? Who, who do you like spending time with in Parliament? And he said his his best friend at Westminster wasn't an old right-wing Tory, as, as I would have expected. It was the very left-wing Labour MP, Tony Benn. And I said, well, h- how does that work? And he said, oh, we agree on many things, but not in Ireland. He's a bit of a Republican. But Jet Paisley set that aside. And he was very fond of the then Scottish First Minister, Alex Salmond. Um, this was before there was any personal controversy around Alex Salmond. Um, but Salmond wanted an independent Scotland. Um, Paisley said to me that he despised paper men, men of no opinion, men who, who stood for nothing. Um, I often think that there was a a class element there too. He really disliked David Trimble. He would say he always has his nose in the air and he thinks he's better than the rest of us. But he struck a good friendship up with John Hume, even though that they had sparred very often in Parliament and in TV studios, and he described him as a thoroughly decent man. He didn't take to Hume's successor, Mark Durkin, but he absolutely adored Bertie O'Hearn. Um, he would say Bertie's full of the Blarney. And he he defended him. He said he believed he was unfairly criticised over his own personal finances in the Republic. And he spoke of how Bertie presided over one of the most prosperous European economies in the Republic of Ireland. And he hoped that Northern Ireland could become so successful. So in retrospect, it it wasn't that surprising to me that Paisley took to the easy charm of Martin McGuinness, even though he'd once denounced him as the butcher of the bog side. And of course, they became known as the Chuckle Brothers because they never stopped laughing. (laughs) And it, it was a huge U-turn for Paisley, but it was in keeping with his personal style because once he decided to enter government with Sinn Féin, it was never going to be half-hearted. And he, he smiled and he joked with McGuinness because that's what he did with those around him. And yet it surprised many people. He was, of course, the founder of the DUP. He was always protesting. He was always shouting. He was always outside until one day... He wasn't outside anymore. And in fact, your last formal interview with him, as I understand, was in June 2007. And that was his first big sit-down interview with a journalist since he'd become, he became first minister the previous month. The man with the placards and, and, the, and the loud hailer outside had become first minister. Can you describe that interview? That's right. Um, I spoke to him in June 2007. Uh, he was a month in the job. And at the first formal meeting of Paisley and McGuinness, Paisley as First Minister, McGuinness as Deputy First Minister, Paisley had suggested to him that they write to the Secretary of State and ask the Secretary of State to immediately vacate Stormont Castle, which which was his residence. And Martin McGuinness said that the NIO was shocked, but they obliged. I don't think they were that happy because I think they they took almost everything from the building, including the light bulbs. But I interviewed Paisley in his opulent new office and there he was now, king of the hill, top of the heap. And he looked out the window and he pointed past the rhododendron bushes and the vast lawns of Stormont's estate and he said, 
I was arrested and, and locked in the gatehouse down there. And it, that had been on Mo Molan's orders. Um, he said she had accused him of trespass, but the police eventually had to let him go because he had broken no law. He was talking about nine years earlier on the night before the Good Friday Agreement, and he protested against the imminent peace deal. He said that the media had treated him as a dinosaur, as a creature that should have died before the Ark, and they never thought I'd end up here. He was clearly delighted um, to have proved them all wrong. But even then, even there he was as First Minister, he was still refusing to play by official rules. Um, I remember a civil servant was there in the room and they were concerned, understandably, that Paisley would say something to jeopardise the blossoming new political order at Stormont. And the civil servant tried to sit in on our interview and Paisley was having none of it. He very abruptly showed him the door and said, I don't need minding. I'm beyond you civil servants. Now, that was brilliant for me as a journalist. That's what you want. You want that 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 sort of access. But no other Stormont minister would have conducted an interview alone with a reporter without someone officially there to tape record it for them. Um, and what was also noticeable was that on his desk, there weren't bundles of government papers, but there were two Bibles. And he, he was preparing a sermon to deliver at the Martyrs Memorial Church later that evening. So his political and religious roles were, were still very strongly intertwined. Why do you think he compromised in the end? I mean, of course, some people have said it was all about power. All he really wanted was power. Is, is there any truth in that accusation? In, in, in terms of why he compromised, I think Eileen, Eileen's influence um, was was enormous. Um, plus, he'd had a serious health scare um, that reminded him of his own mortality, um, and I, I I think she encouraged him to make this historic deal and to share power with Sinn Féin in 2007, but. Paisley was always an opportunist and he, he was always a pragmatist. Um, he recognised that the Republican movement had fundamentally changed. He said Sinn Féin had taken office in government, a government that was part and parcel of, of the UK. They now supported the police. The IRA had decommissioned. And I, I had no doubt that he genuinely had mellowed. He of a Northern Ireland where nationalists and unionists lived side by side with fair play and no discrimination. And, and he wanted everybody to rejoice that that we lived here. He said, we, we can't keep raking over the embers of fires that have long burnt out. A time when hate will no longer rule. We're all aiming to build a Northern Ireland in which all can live together in peace being equal under the law and equally subject to the law. It was a remarkable U-turn after a lifetime of saying no. Um, I, I asked him, did he regret his controversial past? And he, he said, we all have regrets and I've said and done things that I might now not do or say differently. But there was no apology for his past behaviour. When people pass away, 
in Ireland and Northern Ireland, whatever you want to call it, we tend to speak very positively of them. But of course, Ian Paisley was always accused from the beginning and even to this day of inflaming the troubles with his rhetoric. If they don't behave themselves in the South, it will be shots across the border. Well, Paisley was a very dangerous person for much of his political life in Northern Ireland. He was someone who had marched men up and down hillsides, waving um, firearms certificates, flaunting red berries, and every chance he got for, for decades, he heightened tension. He spent his career destroying any leader of unionism that was prepared to contemplate compromise. And it, it could be argued that he possibly delayed peace by 40 years. Um, he denounced Terence O'Neill, Brian Faulkner, Jim Molyneux, famously describing him as a Judas Iscariot, and then David Trimble. And his whole power was maintained on fuel and fear and suspicion. He opposed Sunningdale in 1974, that that would only have involved the SDLP in power, not Sinn Féin, because Sinn Féin wasn't even a serious political party at that stage. So he was a destructive, divisive character. Um, He was someone who preferred confrontation to compromise, and yet he converted at the 11th hour. And Suzanne, sometimes... Uh, and I think it was the late David Irvine who has mentioned that Paisley's rhetoric influenced many people and perhaps he didn't pick up a gun, well he certainly didn't pick up a gun himself, but many loyalists would say that he was responsible for them picking up the gun. There's no doubt about it, Paisley was a rabble rousing street politician and he stoked the flames of sectarian hatred in Northern Ireland. His words led many young Protestant men to take up the gun and murder their neighbours. I've interviewed loyalist paramilitaries who said that his fire and brimstone oratory encouraged them to violence. So his rhetoric absolutely did inspire hatred. And he, he was also the greatest recruiting sergeant that the IRA could ever have hoped for. And in the end, he transformed himself and I suppose his reputation And he won many new friends. And and we can speak about some of those new friends, of course. Martin McGuinness seems the most famous of them. But he did lose friends in the process. He lost supporters. And in the end, he lost his party and and even his church. And that must have been devastating. Well, in in, in the end, he he lost everything. Um, He he fell back on Eileen um, and on his family. And I suppose some might say it... um, as, as as ironic that um, the man who they would they would think abandoned all his beliefs for power then fell on the extremist sword that he had himself fashioned. Um, the DUP upper echelons they needed Paisley to take them to where they wanted to go because nobody else could have done it. Nobody else could have sold a deal and delivered unionist grassroots. Peter Robinson couldn't have done it. Nigel Dodds couldn't have done it. The trust was in what the unionist community called the big man. The trust was in Paisley. Um, and, and in the end, it, it was brutal in terms of getting rid of him. Um, it was virtually unanimous. People across the party came together to oust him. Um, his bon homie with McGuinness did, did not go down well. 
Um, and Pacey just refused to tone it down. So momentum started to build against him. Um, all, all wings of the party wanted him to go. The, the Robinson modernizers, the Free Presbyterian Country and Western Wing. I think one of his only loyal lieutenants to the end was Edwin Putz. All the speculation started about his future um, in early 2008. And, and the only person who publicly said that he should stay as DUP leader and, and as First Minister was, was Eileen. Um, Paisley had, had no intention, but when I interviewed him a, a few months earlier, of going. Um, I remember talking to him about a film script that, that was being written, and there was speculation that Liam Neeson would play him in the title role, and I asked him would he approve, and he said, there is no need for anybody to play me. I am here, I am on the stage now, and I am doing my own acting. And I asked him about Peter Robinson, who had been his bridesmaid for, for decades. Would he not give give him a chance at the helm? And Peter Robinson was 59 and Paisley said, I'm in far better health than men in their, their 50s. How would he have viewed the plotters in the end? Well, the, the DUP organised a series of events to celebrate his leadership and ensure he left on a high. But he, he was very much aware of the manoeuvrings that had gone on behind the scenes. And, you know, I would say as he looked around the room and he saw certain individuals heaping praise on him, and he knew that secretly they were saying behind his back, thank God he's going, he probably thought, I made them all. They'd be nothing without me. One of the... Memories, I suppose we all have, and I remember it happening at the time, and I suppose if I Google Ian Paisley into YouTube, his famous incident in the European Parliament confronting uh, the Pope and calling him the Antichrist is probably an iconic moment. Permit me to say how much I... But but there, there's a certain irony about that story, isn't there, Suzanne? You mentioned to me. There there certainly is. Um, and that famous day in Strasbourg in 1988, when he um, heckled Pope John Paul II, called him calling him the Antichrist, was was nothing new. Paisley had been carrying out protests against pontiffs for for decades. Thirty years earlier, he'd accused the Queen Mother of spiritual fornication and adultery for for meeting Pope John. And yet Paisley enjoyed travelling to Rome. Um, I remember him talking to me about about a visit with Eileen and he had happily waltzed around the Vatican and he described St Peter's Square as architecturally impressive. He, he, He said... The, the the dome reminded him of the one in Belfast City Hall. Um, so again, there there was a difference between what he said and 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 what he did, but he he didn't actually see any conflict himself. And just finally, can we go back to the origins of Ian Paisley, um, the man and the politician? Where did he come from? Paisley was born in County Armagh. 
um, the same year as the Queen, 1926. He was the youngest son of a Baptist preacher. His mother, Isabella, was a railway worker's daughter from Scotland. And as a teenager, he would rise at 4 a.m. to read the Bible. But he didn't want to be a preacher. He wanted to be a sea captain. And then he said the calling came when he was 16. He was plowing fields and he gave his first sermon in a tin hut. He was very nervous and after a few minutes he forgot what he wanted to say. He sat down and he vowed he was never going to preach again because his nerves were just wrecked. But he persevered and of course he took pleasure in the fact that in later years people basically couldn't shut him up. He very much was somebody who did things his way. He couldn't bear the Presbyterian Church, so he formed his own Free Presbyterian Church in 1951. He remained head of that for nearly 60 years. And of course, he didn't like any of the political groupings that existed in Northern Ireland, so he founded his own political party, the DUP, in 1971. And, and again, he stayed at the top for decades. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. Clips from AP, the BBC, UTV, RTE. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll find many more like it at belfasttelegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. When you get an Irish Independent Digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.